Hello, my name is Ben Lindsay, CEO and founder of Power the Fight, and welcome to Power Talk, talk that empowers you to impact youth violence in your context. Power Talks are short, powerful interviews from leading youth violence experts spreading new ideas and sharing best practice. Today we have Dr. Carlene Furman, MBE, talking on the topic of contextual safeguarding. Hello, Carlene. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Good to have you. Um, Tell us about who you are and what you're about. Uh, So my name's Carlene and I run the Contextual Safeguarding Programme at the University of Bedfordshire. Excellent. Um, Could you tell us a bit about contextual safeguarding, the approach, what's about? Sure, so contextual safeguarding is an approach that seeks to change what child protection means locally, nationally and internationally. So traditionally, uh, child protection is focused on protecting children from abuse within their families and people from a number of different services might have concerns about a child, pick up the phone, refer them into children's social care who will then go out and do an assessment of that child's needs and their families and hopefully support them to reduce the risk of abuse they're experiencing. Now, as we've become more aware of issues like sexual exploitation or youth violence, um, we've seen an increased pressure for social workers to also recognise these as forms of abuse, which they are, and to offer some form of protection. The problem is, is that the system was never designed to deal with forms of abuse that were outside of the family. So up until now, what we've had is a response where whether the abuse was sexual exploitation, youth violence, or physical abuse within the family, the response was the same. You'd go in, you'd do an assessment of the family, assessment of the home, assessment of the child's needs, particularly of parenting skills, and then you'd put a plan in place to help the parents better support that child. In a contextual safeguarding uh, system, we are promoting the idea that you would apply an assessment to the context where the harm was actually happening. So instead of assessing a family, you would assess a peer group or a school environment or a park or a high street where a child was at risk of youth violence or sexual exploitation. And then a plan would be put in place to reduce that risk, supporting parents and children at the same time, but really addressing where the harm was occurring. So classically, when an incident would happen, there would be a team around the child, a team around the person, a team around the victim. Contextual safeguarding spans that by looking at the environment and the locality of what's going on in that area. Yeah, and it's pretty common sense, but very counterculture in terms of what we're used to. We're used to fixing social problems by fixing people, and in a contextual safeguarding system, you want to fix the situation, the location, the place, as well as supporting individuals who have been affected. And that might mean working with a young person's friendship group, it might mean working with their school environment, or it might mean working with a public place. Okay. Specifically, how can contextual safeguarding help reduce youth violence? So there's a number of ways that contextual safeguarding is relevant to youth violence and each would depend on its context, which I would say. So to give you an example, if a young person was carrying a weapon into school, um, what we would want to do is to understand whether it's because they felt unsafe on the journey to school or whether it's because they felt unsafe when they were in school. And depending on the answer to that, you would then do an assessment of school or an assessment of their journey and think, what are the mechanisms we can put in place to increase their sense of safety and therefore decrease the need for them or the perceived need that they might have that they need to 
carry a weapon to feel safer on their journey to school or while they're there. And that might mean looking at the school's bullying policies, intervening with young individuals or groups of young people at the school who were bullying that child, um, increasing supervision or surveillance at different times of day, um, particularly in like a burst to try to disrupt it, but that not being the only thing, there being an ongoing approach to mental health and welfare mm. of children at school. If it was on the journey to school, you might see if the partnership had access to detached youth work or other community guardians, which I can talk a bit about mm. shortly that might be a presence on the bus network to try to support a young person to feel safe when they're traveling to school, um, as well as kind of thinking about other techniques that might be used in terms of like training bus drivers or thinking about um, ways that we could design out um, issues of crime in public spaces. So in that example, you're helping or trying to make people more aware yeah. of what is going on in their surroundings. Yeah. Okay. No, that, and that is something which kind of surprises me that people don't just do that naturally. No, I mean, I think some of it's systemic. So we have a child protection system that assumes that if something's going wrong for a child, then the way to fix that is to work with their parents. That's kind of over time what we've ended up with in terms of a child protection system. So if you call something a child protection issue, that's the direction of travel that you go in. Or you see it as a crime and a criminal justice issue, in which case you kind of police your way out of it, you arrest, you you do that type of stuff. In a contextual safeguarding system, you're trying to marry these things up, all with the kind of focus on child welfare, protection, safety. But we live in a society that is very much about individuals. We don't really live in a society that likes to see behavior in context. We say it's an excuse. If we start to say, oh, we need to understand why he's carrying a knife in order to stop him carrying a knife, the response may be, well, you're just making excuses. It doesn't matter if he's been robbed on the bus. It doesn't matter if he's being bullied at school. He should never carry a knife. And he shouldn't carry a knife. It's not safe for him. It's not safe for anybody. But refusing to explore the reasons and try to address those reasons doesn't make anyone else safer. Everyone is motivated to do things by the context in which they live their lives. And for the most part, they're good things. Like, what motivates me to get up in the morning? I don't just wake up. There are things that kind of motivate me to get up, get out of bed, put clothes on, eat. All these things are part of my context. If I was living in a different life and I wasn't motivated to get up or I didn't have opportunities, then maybe I'd behave differently. We all like to think that, like, we're just doing the right thing because we're good people but actually we're in places and situations that enable us to uh, do the right thing so why is contextual safeguarding so important so many people who will engage with power to fight will be community members uh, faith groups uh, arts organizations some people who would never have heard this this concept why is this so vitally important for some of those groups I've just mentioned and how can it uh, enhance and improve their, their practice? Okay, so it's important fundamentally because it's about the safety and well-being of our, our young people and if we believe in creating safety and, and ensuring they're healthy physically and mentally then we all have a stake in ensuring that um, our communities are as safe as they can be and our schools are as safe as they can be for young people. You're never going to eliminate all risk but we all have a stake in kind of wanting to see safe and protective societies and contextual safeguarding is important because it channels what we would have seen as oh if we've got a concern we refer it into social workers and they'll deal with it and that's our that's the extent to which we have a role in child protection to saying well no actually because social workers can't create safety in all the places 
that children are experiencing harm. They're not there. They don't understand those places. They're not responsible for them. So that means that people who are responsible for community spaces, who do have an influence over them, become front line and centre in terms of child protection. And to give you an example of that, I was on a visit to Australia last year and I met with a clinical psychology team who work with young people who um, have committed acts of sexual violence and sexual abuse and um, part of their intervention model was they get an email every morning from the rubbish collectors in that local area telling them what rubbish they've collected in the parks overnight where they've collected alcohol bottles where they've collected drugs paraphernalia and where they've collected um evidence that sexual activity has taken place and the clinical psychologists then use that information to target their outreach into parks where they believe young people may be vulnerable mm. and this is helpful in terms of ensuring that they're putting their efforts into the right place it's re- it reduces the cost on police having to be present in multiple places at the same time because the rubbish collectors are there anyway and it ensures it's not a confrontational thing because the rubbish collectors are there to collect rubbish um, but also and I think most importantly the rubbish collectors believe that they are, and they really are, on the front line of child protection. They make a difference to children's lives, that the work that they do kind of is part of a wider partnership of ensuring young people are as safe as they can be and no one else can do that job. And they are the kind of community guardians that we want to see all over the world and all over the UK. If you are responsible for a place or a space or you have a stake in that place or space, what can you do? And it's they them that came up with that idea because they knew their job and then they could think about well in what we already do mm. what could what could that mean for child protection we have to think all collectively about what i could do to uh, play a role in keeping young people safe so i think that the whole idea and concept of community guardians are, are brilliant and i can definitely see for example in churches and faith groups um how that could be a, a massively importance of how you can connect in with other parts of like the council whether that's police or social services and and stuff like that and considering we hear the term public health Mm -hmm. and holistic approaches Mm -hmm. and joined up thinking um, do you think this approach feeds in really well with, with when we talk about a public health approach where you've, you've got multiple different agencies working together. Does it, do you feel it dovetails that very well? Yeah, I think it's very complementary to public health. It builds on public health or systems approaches, any approach that tries to address the kind of causes of violence rather than the symptoms of violence. Yeah. Um, that's exactly what Contextual Safeguarding is trying to do. Its focus is on context, so it's part of... Yeah a public health approach or it's part of a holistic approach. It's not going to fix every challenge we have with trying to keep young people safe, but it's seeking to address a particular shortfall that we have in our current ways of working and and the approach that it promotes is one that is conducive with um, public health. But if I could pick up on the point around faith groups, because I think there are a number of things that faith and community organisations could do, and I think there are two core ones. I think one is around kind of taking ownership and leadership of spaces, like literally thinking, what is it about our space that's protective? Do we have any blind spots? Do we have literally physical design issues where we've got hidden spaces or spaces where young people aren't being supervised or where there's opportunities for harm to occur? Um, 
kind of what are our principles as an organization? Are they ones that promote uh, values and an ethos that's inclusive, that's supportive of young people? Um, kind of, so what do we, kind of how do we control and influence the spaces and are we present in those spaces? Are we, you know, if our uh, organization is based on a road, are we present on that road or do we just kind of stay in our walls? Do, you, do we work in partnership with the chicken shop at the end of the road? Do we speak to the police? Are we part of that yeah. network? And then the other is around the actual norms and values that sit within those groups and particularly in terms of youth violence for example values around masculinity um, vulnerability you know if you're running an organization and young men are coming into that space it's important that they uh, that it's a space that provides them with an opportunity to express the pressures that they might be under as young men but also to be vulnerable, to have fears, to have concerns, to not promote stereotypes of masculinity, mm. to not promote ideas that men can dominate women. All of these um, ideas sit under a lot of experiences of youth violence, sexual exploitation, criminal exploitation. And the more spaces that young people have to spend time in where there's an alternative view presented of the world, yes. then that contributes to them being able to live a more positive and safe life. And we, we say that a lot to schools in terms of, you know, are you promoting sciences to girls and boys or just boys, right through to how are you tackling sexual harassment, what are your kind of policies, but we don't necessarily have those conversations with other services and faith groups are one and other community groups um, are really important, particularly if they're ones where they might be quite male dominated, we've got a lot of young men using particular youth clubs, yeah. for example, how is that being worked with? How's that being supported? I think things have changed. I'm like when I was young, uh, typically you had kind of the youth worker who wore like socks and sandals and probably wasn't that aware of youth culture, but because of a really good heart, would spend their time on a Friday, Saturday evening. Um, it feels like the needs and the understanding of young people. Uh, needs to be kind of appreciated by anyone who's working in this field. And it sounds like this is a completely enhanced view of safeguarding, mm. which every organisation really... Yeah, absolutely. And um, <clears throat> give, us, give us some examples where you've seen this work. I suppose what I really want people to get in their mind is like, actually, even if we think we're doing a good job, this could enhance our work with our key stakeholders and our young people and families but it also brings us into connection with other aspects of, 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 of the community. Can you give us any examples where you've seen this transition? And also, what is the feel uh, around London and the UK for this, this new concept? Okay, so in terms of examples, I mean, most of the ones I have that would be uh, relevant to community and faith groups would be school-based examples, because mm. that's where we've done most of our work in universal services at the moment. Um, and so some are really basic. So we've developed a survey that um, schools can issue to students, and we've seen other school surveys run quite similar, asking students about where they feel safe in school, where they feel unsafe, kind of experiences of bullying or kind of attitudes. And in uh, one such example, uh, students were provided with a map of um, 
at the school building and asked to traffic light it, red, amber, green, where they felt safe, neutral and unsafe. And that process helped the school to identify that the music room was a place where young people felt unsafe, that there was complaints about sexual harassment happening in the music room. And so all they did was, the music room was kind of in the corner of the building um, and didn't have very good line of sight by staff and was used at lunch breaks quite rightly for kind of extracurricular activities. So all they did was take down the heavy curtains in the corner of the room and the complaints ceased about the music room so really straightforward intervention that is just really about structure just about the structure yeah so it can be as basic as that but not only did it obviously limit the opportunity for the music room to be used inappropriately but it also sent a message to young people that we asked your views you gave them and we've taken them seriously and we've actioned them in a way that isn't about pointing fingers or blaming people but we're trying our best and if that hadn't worked then they'd have to think of other tactics but in that example that was enough um, and the behaviour ceased. In other examples we've seen the rollout of bystander intervention programmes in schools where uh, staff and students have been trained to think about how you safely intervene when you, when you particularly when you hear something that's not okay we're not talking about people standing in the middle of a knife fight but if you get sent an image of another young person um, how you can say to your peers how you can challenge those norms and say dude, why did you send that to me? That's kind of weird. Or, like, just not onward sending is an intervention in and of itself because you shut down the network. So there's different ways in which you can challenge peer cultures and supporting young people to recognise that when you do that, you'd be probably surprised to find out that most of your peers agree with you, but everyone's too afraid to say that they don't agree with the one person who's acting out so that everyone colludes in their silence. So thinking about how those things apply in other contexts, I think, is really important and they all fit within the contextual safeguarding system. So in Hackney, um, in London, they're trialling a full system implementation of contextual safeguarding and in one case they received a referral of a peer group who had shared an image of um, another child on Snapchat and the intervention would have normally been an intervention with each child if anything at all and what they did was they assessed them as a group to look at the group dynamics of why the image was shared and through going through that process and talking to their school they identified that actually the problem was not with the group the problem was with the school and there were multiple groups of young people doing the same thing it's just this group had come to the attention of services because a disclosure had been made and so most of the intervention plan in that case was with the school looking at its policies and procedures on sexual harassment looking at the curriculum content around online safety and supporting students to think about bystander intervention and that was the intervention which is so different to how we would normally work so these are the types of things that we're seeing in practice as well as kind of training security guards training park wardens and gardeners and landscapers to think about how we make parks safer whether it's designing out areas that can't be seen or whether it's increasing the presence of detached youth workers in parks at times of day where young people are vulnerable so kind of a range of things really and in terms of national take-up um we're inundated with requests for support on this. We don't have the capacity in the team to meet the demand. We were funded by the big lottery um, um, at the start of 2018 to offer support to three more local areas to take the learning that we've gathered in Hackney and apply it in another three children's social care um, systems. We've received applications from... Um, 
we've received over 30 applications which represent about 50 local authorities, which is about a third of the country, just shy of a third of the country. So we don't have anywhere near the capacity to meet that level of demand. And um, we know there are other areas who just weren't in a position to make those applications or don't feel they need to because they're already taking the work forward. And so actual appetite <coughs> nationally is quite significant. Right. So, yeah. Um, this is so helpful. And I'm really happy and pleased that Powder Fight have an opportunity to work alongside what you're doing. Uh, we have you booked for workshops. Mm -hmm. Could you just briefly give us an idea of what, if somebody turned up, uh, whether that's from a community group or a faith group or another organisation which is front-facing with young people or families, what type of things do you would they kind of receive from that training? So the workshops that we run are quite interactive. So we would start with just kind of baseline information for people about why context matters, what the evidence is, trying to get them kind of a basic understanding of why we do what we do. And then we focus on using kind of interactive case study examples to get people thinking about how they could use the information we've provided to develop alternative ways of working together to support young people, as well as sharing with them a range of resources that they can take away and use outside of the workshop for changing the way they work with children and families. Excellent. And if people want to know a little bit more about Contextual Safeguarding, what's your website? It's www.contextualsafeguarding.org.uk. Very easy. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, as I said, Carleen will be leading a workshop specifically on contextual safeguarding. You can go to our training and events page. Uh, you can look at the type of stuff she's going to be doing. And if you want to register your interest, you can just send us an email. Um, so yeah, just go to www.powderfight.org.uk for more information.